When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello! And welcome to the first Talking Snooker episode of 2024 with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a good break, good Christmas, New Year, celebrated accordingly. And it's straight back into the snooker, really, isn't it? It feels weird. Um, maybe I get too engrossed in the darts at this time of year because that finishes and then it's a big one on the table. Well, you say it. it it's talking snooker. We say that, but actually, we've been talking darts, haven't we, Phil? Yeah. Off air. What snooker, as far as we're concerned? But we're buzzing a bit. We've just been watching Luke Littler, this extraordinary teenager, this sixteen-year-old that's completely taken the sporting world by storm in recent weeks. Dominated the festive period. We've just seen him reach the World Championship final, which is one of those where he. It's maybe UK centric to some extent. I mean, he may well have broken through where you are. I know he's doing. Good bitches, I'm sure, in other parts of mainland Europe that follow the darts and uh, maybe beyond as well, but certainly here in the UK, massive. You actually have to take a step back and, and, and think uh, think about it more and think 16, nearly 17, but still 16, reached the world final. And what we were just saying then is his standards are relentless. We've seen this from various snooker players over the years, haven't we? We often mentioned John Higgins for that recent tournament. He never led up, did he? Well, so far, with the final still to come, he's not really letting up, is he, Littler? We're just saying, Rob Cross, you were mentioning his average, very good average. He's come second by four sets. He's lost 6-2 against a guy that's just playing extraordinary darts. I mean, you're more of a darts man than me, certainly, Phil. You must be absolutely thrilled with what you're seeing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you think this is a ton-plus average. It happens so often nowadays when it didn't used to, but it happens a lot in shorter formats than this. It's still quite... No, well, maybe not rare, but certainly not common in a world championship. And he did it four times in six games um, already. Uh, I think I heard one, Wayne Mardle on commentary saying James Wade, who's been to multiple semi-finalists, been one of the best players in the world for twenty years, near enough. Um, he's never hit a hundred average in the world championship, and has done four already. It's uh, you know, it's baffling stuff. And I, I was thinking about comparing to Suka a bit. You know, Hendry's the youngest world champion at 21. But he, he had a few cracks at it at first. That was far from his debut. Mm. Um, you know, it takes some building up to to win the biggest uh, events in most sports. And even this one, you know, Van Gerwen's the youngest to win the PDC World Championship. He was 24 when he did that. I think he, that was his seventh go at it. So just to be strolling through it on debut is, uh, yeah, it's amazing stuff. And I'm sure... I'm sure there's a few people listening who don't really follow the darts normally, but have tuned in because of Luke Littler, because I've spoken to a lot of people who've been like that. Well, and the viewing figures are, are, are bearing testament to that. Funny enough, I saw Eddie Hearn, and obviously he's a big, big part of match and big part of the whole operation there, with the darts on Sky. But, you know, he's been tweeting out today some massive viewing figures. I mean, only Premier League football, frankly, is doing bigger business for Sky than this. I mean, this is... Yeah, yeah. And, and heaven knows how many watch this final now on a, on a cold, dark winter's night in the UK. Probably quite a few. Obviously, it's, it's on pay television here. But nevertheless, you know, even despite that, the numbers are terrific. 
I would think could well be north of two million, to be honest, for, for that final coming up. That, that's how, how much good business it's doing. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about Ronnie winning that that UK, of course, 30 years before he's just done it again at 47. He did it at 17, didn't he? He had that very nearly 18 thing, the same way Littler's very nearly 17. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, he is actually, you know, literally 16. So, you know, that, that's the line that, of course, is, 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 is going around the world. Boris Becker, when I was a boy growing up, winning Wimbledon, extraordinary achievement, very different sport, of course. But that it's almost that fearless thing as well yeah. uh, of youth, isn't it? We've seen that with certain snooker players over the years. Uh, he doesn't seem to be worried about anything, not worried about mistakes or pressure or that. We will get back to snooker in a minute, folks. <laughs> Our regular punters thinking this is not what we signed up for. I hope this is not a sign of things to come in 24. It won't be. We just are oh, sports lovers, aren't we? So we've just seen it. But, you know, it's a bit like we just come off that. You know, we do those Sunday after finals and we're buzzing. We're really buzzing. We've just seen it. So, um, yeah, maybe one more word on this each. But, yeah, it's that fearlessness, isn't it? He's like, uh, you know, I, I don't, this arena's not bothering me. The attention's not bothering me. He's made some mistakes, of course. I say he, maybe his team advising them made one or two. And maybe if they had their time again, they wouldn't have maybe courted so much media attention. That's maybe not for me to say. But I wouldn't say everything's been perfect. But his darts have been pretty near perfect. And as I say, that fearlessness of, of youth, Phil, that'll go. That'll go. That's a guarantee. So when, he, when he's got it, use it, eh? Well, yeah, because it seems at the minute watching him now, obviously the first time that most people have seen him, I had seen a bit of him before. Um, but it just feels like, well, he's just going to win everything forever now. Obviously that never happens. But um, cash in while he can. Because, um, yeah, everything's... Perfect in terms of mentality, and you, and you said like calmness and fearlessness, and you know it's just his action looks so good. Like it's it's robotic, but it's nice to watch as well. Like it's just a perfect mix. Um, yeah, just ridiculous stuff. And there's not that often with sports like darts and snooker that you feel it's sort of a wider national coming together to watch it. Um, and it probably wasn't quite like that tonight, quite, but it felt like it on social media and people texting me about it and stuff. Um, that yeah, I saw a lot of people tweeting. I've not watched the darts for years, but glad I turned on tonight. Um, and it's great for sports like the ones we cover um, to get that. Obviously, that's huge. Um, and you know, he's got a big year ahead of him. Whatever happens on Wednesday, um, you know, it, he's going to be the centre of attention in everything coming up. Are they going to put him in the Premier League and stuff like that? Almost certainly, yes, with the viewing figures so far. Um, but that's big. <laughs> he will be seventeen then. It's pretty big stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's amazing to watch. It is, and I mean, it's not the old the only sign by any means. But I did get news alerts from the BBC and the Guardian tonight to my phone about the darts, and I I never thought that would ever happen, Phil. <laughs> I never thought yeah. I'd ever get a darts alert on on those. So, and yeah, I, I mean, listen, you know, I don't think the media coverage has actually been the most mature at times. Actually, I think. I mean, you know, my view is should have covered him in very, very big fashion in terms of making it a big story, but he perhaps didn't need to completely dominate the whole tournament. But anyway, that's another matter. It's an incredible story. That, that There's no getting away from that. He's in the final. That's to look forward to. I'm sure many of you are watching the darts. In fact, some people, I've seen some people say, actually big snooker people say they feel a bit left out because they don't like the darts. That's fine as well. You know, not, not everyone that likes snooker likes darts, but there is some crossover. I know people that may be missing the snooker uh, are, are tuning in. But we won't be missing the snooker for much longer, Phil, because the Masters is uh, is soon to be underway, switching right back to our snooker mode now, getting underway this weekend in London at that same venue, Alexandra Palace, of course. They'll clear everyone out after tomorrow, after <laughs> Wednesday. Get rid of all the darts, people. Snooker comes in and uh, we can't wait Give for it. Give a thorough That's deep clean, I hope, after that. That's <laughs> <laughs> to say the very least, yeah. It's in... <laughs> Yes, I hope, I hope some disinfectant is um is being moved in. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, as well, I tell you what though, I see I see the bloody um the insects are as as, as chaotic as ever. Uh-huh. Darts players getting wasp bites, and so that's what we're going to get again, isn't it? And I, I I'll probably find it funny, and then also get a bit annoyed as well. Say, why are there so many bloody insects? It's like spring, it's like it's like winter watch, isn't it? The old masters these days. So, <laughs> what was the referee one? I can't think of Mark Williams, wasn't it? All sorts of um, funny things going on. 
Yeah, William's doing a, a quite a long dance away from a wasp last time. I mean, it is quite funny stuff like that, but it's not great. It's been going on for years. I don't know why they can't sort it out. Because if you were a darts player, if you got stung on your hand while you're playing darts, it's not ideal, is it? it it's not. And the only way I'd answer that, and I think I was watching a bit of video today because they're, they're restoring another huge part of Alexander Palace that's basically unusable. It, it's just so bloody ancient, that building. It must just be an incredible haven. And I would have thought to deal with anything like that would probably be four or five times harder than it were any kind of a normal building. But anyway, Masters, cannot wait, Phil. We'll look forward to it shortly. And uh, let's just maybe wrap up a, a couple of other snooker matters before we do that. And obviously we had our Christmas special with Dave Hendon and how, how lovely that was. And then we also had our final episode of the year. We didn't really... Um, venture much into German Masters qualifiers. Maybe we should just address some of the headlines from that in those few days before Christmas. And, well, there was there was a few good lines, actually. I mean, Rianne Evans came so close to victory. I know a lot of people on social media were alerting me to this. Um, wasn't really watching it earlier on myself. And then I followed it quite a bit more. She was 4-2 up against Tien Peng Fei. Big chance to win. Ended up losing 5-4. Uh, there was a really good win for uh, Scott Donaldson, beat Gary Wilson 5-4. And that was on, on the black in the final frame. And look at the score. A very tight match, that one. Well, it wasn't a tight match, Liam Pullum, Stuart Bingham. What a win for, for Liam there, winning 5-1. Breaks of uh, 73, 80, 56 and 72 from him. And then, well, once he joined, that kicked up a bit of a fuss as well. He was Dr. Frame, wasn't he, for being late? Just late, but um, as, as various referees and people from the, the officialdom world have said, well, you know, rules are ultimately rules. And, uh, well, it, it didn't actually affect the result because one beat Ding Jun Wee, very good win, 5-2. And Siege Wai He, of course, we know so well from that run at, at Sheffield now last year, well, he beat uh, Lou Halshan 5-4. He was 4-0 down and came back to win. You don't get many of those to the pound, Phil. So lots of stories there. And, uh, oh, the first, your internet connection is unstable of the year, Phil. Brilliant. Great stuff. First of many, I'm sure. And over to you, maybe lots of headlines there, but at win for Liam Pullen. I mean, that, if that's not going to give you confidence against a former world champion, nothing will. Yeah, yeah, that was the standout one for me out of a few. Yeah, I think you named them all there, really. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Jack Shorty doing well. I always like to see him doing well because he's had plenty of struggles. His win over Jack Gonzalezka is very good. And I watched... Uh, I watched the end definitely of Donaldson against Wilson because that was what two or three days after Gary had won in Scotland and he had to go down to play these qualifiers just before Christmas in Ponsford. It was late at night, right to the deciding. I think Donaldson came quite far from behind in the deciding frame to win on the black. Um, and it just, you know, it's constant highs and lows in this sport. As soon as you, whenever you hit a high, you know, there's a low not too far behind. Um, but yeah, no, some great results in, and definitely pulling the notable one. Um, it's encouraging this season. I said it a few times. Um, we've been lacking sort of you, uh, youthful talent coming through, but there, there are good signs for it. So, um, yeah, and Liam's definitely one of them. I don't know if you mentioned Ashley Carty beating Knock on 5-2. That was the only other one I had written down. He's been having a good season coming back on the tour and Knock on, he'd just been in the final in Scotland as well. So good win there for Ashley. But um, yeah, some notable results. The big names, uh, the biggest of the names go straight to the venue this year. So it wasn't quite the carnage of the previous year when almost all of them seemed to lose in those qualifiers. Um, but they've gone, I think the top eight went straight there. But um, yeah, German Masters not far away now. Always one to look forward to. Definitely. And it's seven days now, isn't it, this time for the first time, not five. So that's going to be a big difference. A load of snooker fans from all parts of Europe really, really looking forward to heading to that tournament again. One of the big favourites in, in, the, in the calendar, of course, at the Tempodrome. And yeah, we'll look forward to that. Now, Phil, in these few days before the Masters, lower key, but more snooker, the Championship League is back with us. And as you well know, probably as much as anyone, there are now more episodes of the Championship League in an average year than there are EastEnders. I didn't want to do that, gang, but you did text me, didn't you? You said, that if you don't do it, I'll be fur you don't get furious very often. But you said, that's got to be on the agenda, please. I wouldn't even come on the show. So you wouldn't <laughs> even know how furious I was. I wouldn't be here. As <laughs> <laughs> if you would do that. Utter nonsense from me. Underway in Leicester, of course. It's a couple of months. I looked and the, the actual conclusion of the event is, is early March. So, yeah. As ever, a bit of a, a, a slow burner. And, well, look at the first day results, Phil. And Ryan Day's off to a bit of a flyer. Yeah, four wins from four. Yeah, so it's 
Day, Karen Wilson, Wakelin, on Gary Wilson, Bingham and Milkins. So, uh, yeah, nice competitive group there. Tough to pick a winner looking at that. But Ryan Day started very nicely. Four wins from four. Three wins from four for Kyron. So very good, solid stuff there as well. Um, the only one with no wins, Rob Milkins, actually, just before the Masters. But they've got another day. We're only, we've only seen one day of it. So, uh, yeah, there's the second day of the first group. Then we've got the second two days of the second group before the Masters kicks off. Um, I always think the guys in, who are playing in the Masters, I'm surprised when they're not playing in these because it, it feels like um, ideal match practice. And as I'm, if I understand it correctly... Um, the higher the rankings you get offered when you want to play. So the highest, so anyone in the Masters, if they wanted to play in the first couple of groups, pretty sure they can. Um, so it's just surprising when they choose not to, because it seems like the idea, an ideal little bit of uh, uh, getting ready, you know, a proper match practice. Um, but the likes of Kyron will, and then in group two, I think Selby and Carter are in, and obviously Milkins as well. So we'll see if that makes any difference when they get to Ali Pallet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we said it many times, you know, they're never going to be the biggest wins of the season, but we have seen before, you know, so there have been a couple of direct matchups actually from the Championship League going into bigger events and the results do sometimes tend to be repeated. So, you know, any any when you get over an opponent, you know, especially one you've got coming up is, is going to be valuable than, you know, whichever form of the game it is. But of course, Phil, so the Championship League's underway in Leicester, and uh, that that will keep us going, sort of in the in the in between periods between tournaments. That tends to be the way it works, doesn't it? But of course, our main priority is the Masters. Now, I'm aware we've been going a number of years now, so probably going over old ground. You know, maybe more than we need to. Brilliant tournament goes without saying. Every standard ticket sold, absolutely brilliant. The atmosphere is going to be, uh, you know, wonderful every day, every night, and that's just you know, I think as you put it recently. Uh, probably in our last one of the year just gone actually that's the, the the way the year kicks off is the way we like to think of snooker at its best I think it's a great way of saying it actually with big crowds the best players spine tingling atmosphere as I said once um, not so long ago on here someone from the uh, you know officialdom world of, of, of WST said to me you know if they were introducing someone to snooker for the first time they'd now take them to the Masters I'm thinking, well, I probably would still take him to Sheffield, but I know what you mean, because there's something about that arena. It's such a, you know, pure show business and it's going to be such a buzz, isn't it? I hope we just get down there, uh, up there myself. Is it up there or down there for me? Probably across there, Phil, <laughs> halfway in between. Not far anyway. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, so yes, I was saying on Twitter today, special building anyway, which we often forget to say how iconic it is. You, you were saying you saw a band there not so, a few winters ago, which you love, but it's a great place and it's just got a, such a special buzz at this time of year. Darts finishing and then our beloved snooker moving in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's become a great home. Um for the Masters, obviously, Wembley beforehand was a great home and a lot of people didn't think it'd get topped. But some people have changed their mind and feel like this is the new uh, best venue for the Masters. I'm sure still, a lot of people still prefer the old one, but this is very good, no doubt. Um, yeah, I had, uh, I think it was 2016, I think. Uh, I was I was up there every every week for a bit, going to the darts and the snooker. They're going to see Slipknot there. So it's a very versatile venue, three contrasting uh, events that I went to see there, but all very good. Um, but yeah, that walk up there, lovely views, uh, underrated little bar in there as well, which you can uh, go to before or after or even join the match if you want to pop out for a frame. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's great to look forward to. And what I always enjoy watching it is how much the players are absolutely buzzing about it there um, because they do the interview. Obviously, that's the benefit of a one table setup as well. They do the post-match interviews just by the table. The crowd's still there. They can sort of keep cheering along we don't get to see that too much really other than like after finals um and they're just yeah the smiles on their faces even you know we've referenced this a load of time that that classic higgins williams one you know they've oh, seen it all and even those two were like bloody hell this is next level stuff so yeah very special tournament very special place yeah, quite. And I like the, the recent example of that which I, might, might have been last year actually I, I put a clip up i absolutely loved it it was the if you could sum up Rob Walker and Barry Hawkins as, as characters, it was that. Rob was very much like, what a performance, Barry. You were absolutely brilliant. Oh, this crowd's absolutely loving it. What an afternoon. It's absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? Barry was like, was it? <laughs> <laughs> so low-key. Oh, was it? Oh, <laughs> brilliant stuff. 
It really was. I didn't do it justice said totally, but it was so funny. Let's start with Sunday afternoon, Phil. Luca Purcell, Jack Lazowski. And maybe I'll have a first um, look at this one then. Well, Luca won 6-4, actually, when they met at the Players' Championship last year, having a look at their results earlier. They never really met in many matches of great depth, to be honest. Um, best of 11 is the longest. And it's a hard one to call, actually, to be quite honest. I mean, Lazowski has maybe been a, a bit better than it seems. I mean, it's been a quite, quite a lot of downbeat talk about him, but he's actually been in one quarter, one semi this season. It's not that bad. I mean, I think we're used to, obviously, very high standards from him. I had a look at the one year list. He's 19th on there. So, you know, it's not dreadful by any means. Um, and Purcell is 38th on the one year list, to put that in perspective. And he's not really been at the races at all. Said it all about world champion, you know, it's happened since time immemorial. It's happening again, which I'm a bit surprised about because I thought some of those early signs were he he, he wasn't going to be too shackled down by it, if you like. But that hasn't proved to be the case. He's not really fired yet. Um, we are broken records because we keep saying he will. He definitely will. Um, whether it will be now or not, it, it may well be. I mean, Sunday, I think anything at the Masters is any slot is great. But that Sunday afternoon slot is is a bit special. It's the first match. It's often the champion, not always. It's not always the champion. I think they weigh up various factors as to whether it's best to put the champion on or not. And obviously, uh, judge the champion. The judge got a very nice slot coming up later in the week. They maybe think that's better for telly or whatever. And Luca Jackazowski is a you know, great attraction. Let's, let, let's be clear. They're very exciting players. And let's hope for a lovely audience on the, on, you know, on the BBC and Eurosport coming up on, on the first day of the tournament. But there is that big occasion feel about it. So uh, maybe just a bit of a hunch. I think Luca might play better than we're expecting. And, and you know, could maybe be a bit of a turning point for him. It's going to happen sometime. Why not here? But yeah, hard one to call, um, Bill. I, I say that. I mean, they all are. And, uh, but yeah, it's um, it's a bit crystal ball. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to be an odds man. I wouldn't like to be out like our friend George Wayham or Richard Mann ha- having to decide this one for for their punters. Tough, tough one, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think I did have a look, and there's nothing to it. I think Brussel is a very marginal favourite, but you wouldn't be putting money on that with any confidence. I don't think. Uh, yeah, Lesowski, like you said, he's got himself in a weird position now because there's this whole thing about. Uh, when's he going to win his first? But almost whenever he loses at any stage, then it's just like, oh, well, another one where he hasn't won it. So he can actually sort of be doing all right and having a perfectly decent season. But it still seems so negative because every time he loses, it's like, there's another one gone, which other people don't really have to deal with. So, and, you know, that's just because this became a narrative quite a long time ago about, oh, when's he going to win his first? It seems like it has been going on for a very long time. But, um, yeah, he can sort of go under the radar in doing well. And, I mean, it shows by the fact he's in the Masters. You know, he's been in the Masters quite a number of times now, been a very regular face in the top 16 without winning something, which is an achievement in itself. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be very confident either way, but... Jack was weird last year. He looked really good at the Masters in his mm. first two games and then completely sort of fell apart against Williams. So, so pushed. Maybe I'd go with Jack, but yeah, not that confident at all. Um, so I'll brush past that very lame prediction to yeah. Sunday night. And another interesting one, well, they're all interesting ones really, but Sean Murphy against Zhang Ander. Zhang, um, you know, not very long ago, no one would expect to have seen Jagander in this Masters draw um, at all. Uh, absolutely incredible, um, just emergence. Um, English Open final, winning the International Championship, um, which is huge, um, and has catapulted him into the top 16. And weirdly, I mean, that was brilliant, but it was almost how he was playing at the UK that sort of kept cementing how good he was. He got the quarters. But he just looked brilliant there. Um, and I imagine he's been working very hard over Christmas. And I expect him to play pretty well again. You know, the, these two have played a few times, but it almost seems irrelevant to do it because they haven't played it um, since Zhang Ander became the new Zhang Ander. So I don't yeah. know if that, um, you know, Murphy's got a winning record against him, but you know, it seems irrelevant now. Um, Sean obviously started the season off great, winning the Championship League, but then um, really sort of gone downhill quite badly since there, struggled for results. 
Um, I don't think he's played awfully by any means, but um, has struggled for regular wins. And uh, I'm not sure what the odds on this one are. I suppose Zhang would be the underdog. And I think, I think I'd think i be tempted by the underdog money there. He seems just so fearless and so um, so good at the minute. It's, uh, I don't know if it'll last forever, but I imagine it's still going strong. Um, but yeah, like all of them, you're not going to be that confident. But um, at one, the one thing I thought well, Murphy will have a big advantage is Zhang won't have played in a crowd or an atmosphere or an environment like this very much at all. He's played at the Crucible, he's played in big finals, but it's nothing like this, where Sean loves this kind of thing. Um, he's obviously won this tournament before. Um, so if Sean could sort of settle quickly, if Zhang's struggling a bit with that, then that's a big advantage. But, you know, Zhang could easily win that one, I think. Well, you might have left me something to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, how much of a favourite is Sean? You were, Not you were massive. Gonna... He's odds on, but um, four to six, Zhang six to five. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I thought I thought that, that, that crowd thing, it, it's a bit of a cliche, the start being important, but I think it probably is in this. It, if Zhang can get into the game quickly, I think 2-2 two, two would be great for him, that sort of thing. Um, but if Sean has a bit of a head of steam and starts well with that, you know, his immense experience generally, but his immense experience at playing in this event with that crowd and big crowd generally throughout his career. But as you say, you know, the crowds at the York are hardly small. You know, he's been at Sheffield. So he's not as totally unknown to having, this is a bit more of a bear pit than almost anywhere else. But yeah, uh, I wouldn't have thought that would be, you know, if he, just get a foothold early, something that really proves to be that decisive, probably in the long term. We'll see. I mean, as you say, Murphy, I saw won their last match a couple of seasons ago at the European Masters, but Zhang's just gone up a level now and he's just having that marvellous season. You know, he really is, you know, one of the players of the season, really. He'd be a strong candidate to be the player of the season if Judd hadn't had that amazing run and it has to be, has to be Judd, frankly, but Zhang's, you know, knocking on the door of that, of that status. He's been that brilliant. And, and as you say, not just winning, but the, I like the narrative of him getting close to the English, wasn't it, when he was leading Judd in that final. Then we thought that would be a springboard, you know, for some time, maybe months in the future, who knows, or this season. But to do it that quickly and win a tournament, brilliant. And then backing it up with good performances since. So... You know he's a he's a proper proper prospect at the moment, and that you know he's offering plenty of evidence that he's here to stay. Really, you know the the much higher level than he ever has been before. Yeah, Sean won the championship lead, didn't he? Say he's been a bit hot and cold since. You know, maybe more cold actually. Reached one tournament quarter final, but I suppose the immense experience he does have at the Masters would would make me lean towards Murphy. I can see why he is favourite, frankly, and I I probably would would lean that way. Monday afternoon, Ronnie, the, the afternoon slot. I think that was a, one of the listeners for, for to Dave to Dave actually to snooker scene wrote in recently and talked about how long it had been since Ronnie hadn't had, you know, anything but this at, at the UK or Masters. And you know, as Dave was saying, it, it is an advantage ultimately, you know. Um, but I was thinking about this a couple of days ago and thinking it it was ever thus in sport, really. I mean, we used to joke you know, in various offices I've been in over, over Federer over the years. And you know, we we went over the top, you know, you know, what, what, when would you like to play Mr. Federer? But there was an, there was an element of that in slams. You'd get the lovely afternoon slot or, you know, he'd always have seemed to play, you know, on the Friday, not the Saturday at Wimbledon, so you always have more time off. And I, I guess that's ultimately what the very, very top players have earned through their brilliance. And it, it was ever thus. TV want the stars. They want Ronnie. He's on Monday afternoon. And I'm sure they'll have a lovely afternoon audience for it on the BBC and Eurosport. Ronnie against Ding. Well, I'm often saying how much they played. So I thought I'd look look, look up. Seems like so, so many so far in the 20s. Well, it's three meetings in 2020, two in 21, three in 22, two in 23, and now one in 24. That's a lot, really. You know, for, when you think about it, we, we, there's so many matchups which they've hardly ever seen to play. And yet uh, these these guys play all the time. And Ronnie, of course, wins the vast majority of them. Um, he was ham- hammered that time by Ding in the UK, of course, not so long ago. But he wins the majority of them, including that recent UK final, which is a smashing match. That could have gone either way till late. And Ronnie just showed his his pure pure class. 
I can see Ding winning, actually. I mean, it's hardly a rocket science comment, but he's that good. I can see him winning. I just think it's a bit of a mugs game to, 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 to back that. I think Ronnie's... I think the best time to play Ronnie is probably first up. So if, it, if it's going to be cold, it'll be more likely this, this round. But I think his record at the tournament is so phenom- phenomenal. Easy for me to say, Phil. So phenomenal that I think I'm going to have to go um, with Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty safe bet in the first round of most things. I agree with you. That is sort of the time you think you catch a cold, but he doesn't tend to get beaten there. Um, you know, he's not lost a first rounder at the Masters since 2011. Um, and that's a lot of games um, that he's won since then. Whereas Ding, um, he, I looked at his one second, sorry. He has lost. So he won it in. 2011, so that's when Ronnie last lost the first rounder. Ding's lost eight times in the first round since then. Wow. And uh, he's not won a match at the Masters at all since 2019 because he missed the last two and lost in the first round twice before that. So I think when he was talking in York as well, when they were asking him about, he kept being asked about why he loved the Barbican so much. And he said just some venues suit, um, you just feel good, confident, and some you don't. And the one he said when he doesn't is Ali Pali. So he doesn't feel good there. Ronnie definitely does. Um, as you say, I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not nothing extreme to say you could see Ding Junhui winning, of course. But um, yeah, I'd be going Ronnie all day long on that one, though. Um, and the crowds will love it, I imagine. Uh, so where are we up to now? Monday evening, we have Mark Williams against Ali Carter. Not a bad one. Um, yeah, I had a look at their head-to-head. Um, they played loads in sort of short format games over recent years, the Championship League and the WST Classic, which Williams won. They haven't played sort of a long game, a proper game, um, since 2019, which is a bit surprising, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Williams winning in the Players' Championship. Um, and I would say Carter hasn't beaten him in many big games for a long time. He did, like... Um, ages ago we're talking sort of 2007 2008 but Williams has had the upper hand in in longer games um and Mark actually we haven't mentioned that I suppose this was going to come up in any other business but he won that the second of the events in Macau um over Christmas um which of course is an exhibition um but you know he beat Trump in the semis and he beat Lasowski over a lot of frames beat him 9-6 in the final so it's not bad bit of match practice against very good players um in in a it looked look like a good atmosphere look, uh, quite obviously quite flash um but yeah he'll be feeling good um so yeah um i'd lean i'd lean towards mark there he's been good this season eh? that british open win was brilliant um he doesn't he doesn't tend to sort of string together loads of good performances in a row on a regular basis these days but um it's certainly in there and uh he was superb in this event last year as well running to the final he was excellent um throughout but that game against Ronnie superb even in the final that he lost he was great so yeah I'd go with Williams there yeah uh, I think I'd, I would lean the same it seems to go for all, all, a lot of the bigger hitters but uh, just finding it hard to make a case for the for, you know in, in some of these for, for these you know underdogs to, to do it and really close head to head generally um, first match 0-1 Phil going back mm-hmm. quite a while now um, as you as you said, I, I wrote the same sentence down. You said have another long match for a few years. I'd actually forgotten that that was part of Mark's run to his famous last world title in eighteen that he beat Ali in the, in the quarterfinal thirteen eight. And uh, well, a little plug, Phil, because I don't I don't need to be shy and forget to plug it yourself. You're twenty three for twenty three. Mm. Uh, I, I noticed that Ali was ninth and Mark eighth. So that you know felt about right. Most of them in your list felt about right, actually. And but that just shows that's the kind of years they had just gone. And that, you know, I was, yeah. I remember saying to in one of our episodes recently that, um, I think the one with Dave actually, there was that period in this in the spring where Ali was very much part of what seemed like a bit of a triumvirate there with Short, Sean Murphy, Bob Milkins, and him. He was knocking on the door a lot. So, yeah, he's um, he's a redoubtable character, we know that, but. Uh, I've just seen Mark having a bit too much class, perhaps on the day, uh, maybe a bit too much know-how. 
if Mark's not firing on all cylinders, Ali will, will turn him over. There's no quite question mm. about that. No question. Uh, you know, and I can see it happening. But I just, I fancy Mark might play well, just a feeling. Um, big occasion, mate. Just tend to, as you say, he did well in this last year. But, I mean, he was absolutely daylight robbery, that Robertson semi the year before, wasn't it? And he does, he tends to do go deep in Sheffield a lot of the time. He does well in these. You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, Martin Williams have never just turned up, but you know he, he he's a he's a proper live contender for these still. You know his age. You know he's 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 remarkable as as all those three characters are in the class of ninety two. Am I going to back Williams for that one? Well, we should say you are uh, listening here to our Masters preview on the first Talking Snooker episode of twenty twenty four with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. We're on to next Tuesday now, and, well, another mouth-watering one. They all seem to be, of course, that's the beauty of the Masters. Judd Trump, Kyron Wilson. Well, uh, Judd's clearly ahead in the head-to-heads. Um, one thing I always think in, in Kyron's favour is he's one of those that's not at all overawed by, by Trump, really. Um, I, I just worry, you know, is he playing well enough to beat Trump? That, that, that's the thing. You know, looking at, again at the one-year list, which I had a good scan down, I think it, you know, it's always useful, but at this time of season, it starts to get really useful as a gauge. But he's 35th. I mean, you know, he miles down for, for, for a player of Kyron's quality. He's reached just one quarterfinal this season at the European Masters. Whereas we just know what, what Judd's been up to. It, it's been remarkable, really. But I was also thinking, three in a row, that that would rightly always get the headlines. But he's also been in two other finals. Reach the semis of the UK. I mean, he's absolutely extraordinary. There can't have been many, many more than about nine, ten tournaments. There's six or seven now, just named. That he's either won or just you know come runner up or, or got to the last four. It's a, it's a hell of a season. It really is. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Kyron's a marvelous player. Again, you know, probably go that saying. I can see him turning Judd over. Well, in some ways, I can't see it in this example because I'm not. You know, obviously, a very good Kyron. And again, just tipping off those standards, Kyron will win. But at the moment, just the way this season's panned out, I'm I'm finding it hard to, to put together a very constructive argument for for Kyron. It's Judd for me in this one, Phil. Yeah, that all makes sense. The, the thing with the Masters is that you sort of you know there's going to be shocks, um, and you you just have to sort of gut punt for them sometimes. That even though, like you say, it's quite hard to say why they would happen. Like you remember last season when. That must have been the one you're talking about when Rob was speaking to Barry afterwards, when Mark Allen was playing brilliantly, just won the UK Championship, then lost 6-0 to Barry Hawkins in the first round. Um, and there's just, I mean, Lasowski beating Higgins round one last year, Hussein Fai coming in, late replacement, and uh, beating Selby. Um, it's just one of those where, like, everyone's so good, sometimes it doesn't seem like there's... Um, a logical argument for something, but sometimes you just got to punt on one um, because everyone's good enough to take chance uh, if one guy's just slightly off it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, but maybe I'll just, maybe just for the sake of going differently, I'll go with Kyron. Um, I do like that he's playing in the Championship League. Um, you know, you could have, if you play in all, both those groups this this week, then it could be four days of playing really good players on in great conditions. Um, and gaining some confidence and just sharpness, um, especially after the break over Christmas. I know those guys. Judge was playing in Macau, um, but yeah, maybe that maybe that could be something. But because um, but Judge defending champion, yeah. I mean, every, as I say, everything you said was was accurate and makes more sense. But I'll just go with Kyron for the sake of it. I'm speaking to him tomorrow, actually. So maybe maybe something will come out of that interview that will that will I'll be able to put my argument into better shape. <laughs> Good man. Well, maybe I'll let you have first go at Neil Roberts and Barry Hawkins. Well, that's a very interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Neil obviously been away in Australia um, in what he hopes is a break that's going to turn his shocker of a season around. You know, it's been really bad. Um, you know, it's one of those where you wouldn't even say by his standards. It's been bad by almost anyone's standards. He's sort of in the 80s on the one-year list. Um, so it's not just, you know, a bit worse than he would normally do. It's, uh, it's a lot worse than he would normally do. Um, and he's hoping that um, a bit of rejuvenation by going back to Australia um, will 
perking back into action. And yeah, everyone would love to see that for sure. Um, no idea if it'll work. Uh, it, you know, that's not a guaranteed winner. Um, I know he played an exhibition or a couple of exhibitions over there, so he's had his queue out, but I don't know how much practicing he's done. Um, whereas Barry Hawkins had really good season so far. Um, he won the tournament at the start of the season, the European. He's been pretty consistent since then, semis, quarters, um, looking very strong. Um, so on form, um, it's, you have to say Barry Hawkins is the favourite for that. Um, just getting the bookies odds up. Yeah, he's he's marginal, very marginal favourite. Robertson's only evens as the underdog. Um, yeah, I mean, Neil... If Neil could just spring back into life, maybe he's right. Maybe it was. He just needed to have that break and, and burst back into life. It could happen. Could well happen. Um, and he won this tournament two years ago. But around that, three out of the four years, he's lost in the first round. So um, it's very unpredictable, isn't it? I'll go with Hawkins, though, on the season's form because there's really no comparison in that in that um, uh, genre. That's not the right word. <laughs> on that topic. Yeah, both those matches that day are not dissimilar, actually. I, I mean, Tyrone Wilson and Neil Robertson are both marvellous snooker players, but on their season, I just you can find form from, not from nowhere, but these guys are so good they can dredge it up. I mean, look at Gary Wilson. He's done almost nothing all season, won a tournament. Of course it can happen. But, yeah, the one thing I would say is that I thought when Neil won it two years ago, I've forgotten which ho- ho- might have gone to Scandinavia. I think it was, but he's certainly been away and hardly played and looked quite shaky early on, ended up winning it. You can play your way into the Masters, but when you're playing someone like Hawkins, who tends to, he doesn't tend to dip below levels. Um, there are question marks, I think, over Barry's temperament, actually, when it comes to the very, very late stages of events and ability to get over the line in massive matches. But there aren't many question marks over his stickability I think uh, you know in most matches so I mean Neil historically Neil's ahead on the head-to-heads he's won the the majority of their of their biggest meetings of course he did you know he won comfortably in that Masters final against Barry this is a repeat of a final of course of two years ago um Barry's Masters record is no problem with that at all two Masters finals and a semi-final in the last decade for him but Robertson's record is generally brilliant. I mean, you mentioned he's had some early exits, but, you know, he's twice lifted the trophy, twice been runner-up. So it just depends. How is he going to perform after his break? I think it improved in the second half of the season, but it has to be instant improvement, doesn't it? That's the problem. Uh, and it it's quite a push to suggest, to think there's going to be instant improvement in the sort of bare pit of a, of a Masters match. So, yeah, I'm, I'm also going to lean towards Hawkins there for sure. On to Wednesday afternoon. Next Wednesday, then, John Higgins, Mark Allen. Well, Allen's slightly ahead in the head-to-heads there. They've played a lot over the years. But Higgins did win 6-5 when they were in the Masters three years ago. Uh, and I always think with John, he's got that funny Masters record, hasn't he, where he has put that right to some extent recently, actually. He, won, he got to that COVID final, didn't he, when he lost to Yan Bing Tao. But I think it's still only two, which is two victories for John. He's been going there, you know, 30, 30 odd times now, probably. So um, just by his, you know, the fact how amazing he's a, he's a player, feels under, very much under what it should be. Um, but, you know, as I say, he did get to a recent final. Alan's barely performed, barely performed anywhere until he won the Champion of Champions. That's that thing again. You know, they dredge form up these guys. Then he won the shootout. So he's having a good season again, you know, has to be said. Uh, well, Higgins is one of those, and I think we say the same thing um, for a few guys, actually. To some lesser extent, what we were saying about Lazowski earlier. I mean, John's obviously that level above, but unless John's sort of winning stuff or maybe even getting to finals, as he's been to loads of finals lately and lost nearly all of them, as we know, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of temptation to think, oh, he's doing nothing. But actually, you know, he's he's 12th on the one-year list. He's been to four semifinals, so he, he is doing quite a lot. He's just John Higgins. So we expect so much of him. Um, Alan, Alan's the funny thing about him is he won it in 18, that famous win. I always loved that. I, met, I was there that day. I loved that final against Kyron Wilson, one of my favourite big finals of the last maybe sort of half decade or a decade, actually. But since then, he's lost in the first round five years in a row. That is quite something. Loss, 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 loss. Amazing way to 
to, to sort of um, come off the back of a tournament victory. But my, the way my funny brain works, you sort of think, well, yeah, can you can you back a guy that's lost five in a row? I think law of averages, you can, Phil. I think that that run cannot keep going on with someone as good as Mark Allen. So on that one, without enormous amount of confidence, I'm going to lean towards Mark Allen. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, it can't just carry on happening. Um, five in a row is odd, isn't it? After, after winning it. Um, yeah, I thought they're head-to-head. You know, Alan got the two big ones in the last one, that Northern Ireland. No, so the, yeah, the Northern Ireland final. And then um, the champion, champion semi, semi this year looked like it was going to be a cracker. It was 2-2, wasn't it, at the interval? And then he just ran away with it. Um, and they, yeah, they played five times at the Masters and Alan's won four. So... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not opposing that tip at all. Um, Alan's won that. He was brilliant, actually, in the champion of champions. I thought he was. He was so good there. You know, absolutely hammered Judd in the final. Um, so yeah, I agree. John's hardly shown bad form. He just seems to keep coming unstuck in semis. Um, either against really, really good players. Well, always against really, really good players. I suppose the one in Scotland most recently against Nopon was probably the most disappointing. Um, because he would have been clear favourite for that, whereas as you know, he's lost to Judd and people elsewhere. But um, yeah, you you'd expect it to be close, but sometimes that's a weird one as well. You look at these ones and you think that's bound to be eleven frames, ten or eleven frames, but someone runs away with it. Um, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd go with you on Alan without great confidence. Um, and then the last one, which might be one of these other, you can't really justify it but could be a big shock well it would be a big shock if rob milkins beat mark selby but selby again a few of these guys have odd masters records because selby started his master's career just like oh this is his tournament um you know one runner-up one um within his first seven years he got another title and another runner-up in there um so that was just you know ridiculously good up to 2014 but since 2014 He's not been past a quarterfinal. And I think when you're looking at the sort of colourful Wikipedia block, which I'm sure many other people listening do, like a quarterfinal looks good. But a quarterfinal in the Masters is only winning one game. So in the last nine years, he's won four matches and they were all across four different tournaments and gone out in the first round five times. It's confusingly poor for someone who strolled into the Masters at the start of his career and seemed to dominate it. So, he, you know, we talk about Ding thinking he's not... And great feelings going into the conference, going into Ali Pali. Um, you know, Selby, despite um, a good pass in this tournament, he'll, he'll be similar because that is a long time to not do particularly well uh, at a venue. Um, now, having said that, Rob Milkins has never won a game in the Masters. <laughs> so it's is easy to argue the other way as well. Um, he's not played many times in the Masters. I think he's just played twice. Um, and this is his first appearance in his sort of re-emergence as a top player um, after the last 18 months of just great stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's also very contrasting styles, I'd say they're, um, yeah, just at the opposite ends of scales. Um, But, you know, I think Selby has proved himself to be vulnerable um, in this tournament and Milkins is the kind of guy um, who can capitalise. He's beaten Selby this year at the Welsh um, he should have been O'Sullivan at, at the UK, shouldn't he? And he, he showed some sort of frailty there to be a, not be able to get over the line. But I think that's because it was Ronnie. And although Selby is, you know, has that effect on people as well, he probably doesn't have it quite as much as Ronnie does on on Milkins. So not look to the odds, but I imagined Milkins would be quite a lengthy underdog, eleven to four. Um, if I was having a little nibble, I might go on the underdog there. Well, uh, you make a, 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 a compelling case. Um, one thing I would say is that I actually spoke to Rob Milkins today. Classic Championship League experience, uh, Rob. He said, I'm just sitting in my car waiting for the next match. I thought, <laughs> players sitting in their cars feels like quite a Championship League thing, doesn't it? But, um, well, he, he wasn't in a very upbeat mood, actually. I think I don't want to spoil too much about my piece coming up, uh, which will be on Sporting Life in the, in the days to come. But... I think he's feeling quite down about his season, which hasn't really got going. I mean, it, listen, he had that massive high, didn't he, of winning, of winning two tournaments, but particularly the Welsh last season. And I just, he can't quite reach those levels for one reason or another. And, you know, he's really going to hit the practice ha- table hard once the Championship League's over. 
ahead of that match, which obviously, as we speak now, still got a week to go. But he's, I mean, he, he can beat it on beat, Bob. He, he's that kind at times, but he just sounded to me like he wasn't on the most, you know, confident sounding move, which make, m- makes me inclined to, to think a bit less of his chances. But uh, again, I sound like a broken record. You know, someone like Selby is, is so immense. If they're not winning stuff, you, you have in your mind that they're not quite having the best season. But again, final and two semis, you know, it's not that bad. And, you know, he has miles more Masters experience. No comparison. Yeah, you're right about Mark Selby's record. It's funny, isn't it? Hasn't been past the last eight since reaching the final a decade ago, having done brilliantly for years there in the earlier part of his career. But yeah, Milkins, obviously he's had Ronnie, I think Ronnie, Neil, and now Mark Selby. I and mean, that's, that's what happens at the Masters, by the little joke with him. I think one thing he was at pains to say, and I wouldn't say he left me with a flea in my ear, but he certainly, I think, wanted to make it quite... You know, I didn't mean to word it quite like I did, maybe, but I was sort of saying, you know, you're a quick player, get on with it, you have a certain style. But he was sort of saying, actually, you know, people think of me a lot and it's more more the way they think of my earlier days. And I've actually got a bit more of a tactical side than I'm sometimes giving credit for. And also, one thing that, you know, I also definitely agree with, Selby, you know, is not just a, you know, a, a, a knuckling down you know, absolute granite game. He's also a great scorer. So as ever with snooker and sport in general, there is nuance there. There is a clash in styles, but they can both do a little bit of what the other one's famous for type thing. Um, but listen, that's a bit of waffle for me there, Phil. Um, but hopefully a bit of sense as well. And I, But uh, I have to say for me, um, I'm going to probably lean towards Selby there. But what, overall, what can we say? It's just a you know mouth water. They, they say the afternoon ones are, are sort of selective for telly, but I was thinking going through them, the evening ones are brilliant as well. There isn't a there isn't a match there that I'm just not looking forward to. All eight are just going to be roll up, roll up in front of the telly, or actually I might be there for a couple of them. Just absolutely electric stuff, full arenas. We just you know we're just very lucky, aren't we? This is this the, these are the times before these really big ones where. Just before it gets underway, you're just so excited. You know, it's day after day of action. And it's not quite that morning, noon and night feeling of a crucible without the morning session. But it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit like every day snooker. It's going to dominate our lives for a week, eh? Yeah. And there's, yeah, like you said, there's no, um, you know, I suppose there's some that sort of jump off the page a bit more than others, but there's no bad ones. You don't get bad ones. So, yeah, it's constant... uh, Big fight feels, you know, whenever the, whenever the afternoon or the evening session starts. And it's so hard to pick a winner. You know, just going through those then, we've made some picks, but not confident about many, if any. Um, so then to pick someone to come through the field, you just wouldn't be surprised. You know, there are one or two people in there who you would be surprised to win it. But um, 12, probably 10 or 12, not, not that surprised at all. Um, so fascinating stuff. Um, and you're right, what you said, I can't remember who you were talking about, Neil Robertson, I think you were saying, there's, you can build into it. You know, Judd Trump um, did not look good um, in his first two games last season. Um, he didn't, he, he did look good in the final, to be fair, but it wasn't mm-hmm. really until the final. Um, so these guys are just so good, they can scrap through um, without playing their best. Um, and yeah, what we will get, when you look at all these games, like I said before, and you think, oh, they're all going to be close, 6 5, 6 4. You get the odd, you always get the odd one where it's like, whoa, he's just smashed him 6 0, 6 1. Mm. It will yeah. happen. Um, yeah. I think Dave Ender made that point. I think he's made it on his own party. I think he made it when he was on with us. Um, that they're all just so good. It's fine margins, and one of them only needs to really click, and the other one just slightly struggle, and you've had it. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really good. Uh, I wouldn't like to pick a winner. Um, I think if. if if Mark Allen can get past John Higgins... Oh, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was about no, to say the same maybe, thing. Yeah. I, again, I just had a look at the odds and he's sort of 14 to 1, which looks quite generous. I'm sure that would swiftly shrink if he beat Higgins. But yeah, he's he's a real force these days, isn't he, for any tournament? I was thinking the same thing. I, hadn't, I genuinely hadn't thought about tournament winner until we're doing this. And I, and I was thinking oh, we should probably do one. I was sort of leaning towards that. The, I thought the obvious thing is always Ronnie because he's a... His master's record is immense, and I think he'll win his first match, and that gets you on the way. And 
I think it's Neil or Barry for him. Uh, so again, I would fancy him for that. And then the, the semis is a hard man to stop. But yeah, again, uh, the way my mind works, winning two triple crowns in a row is really hard. It doesn't happen that often. That that would let, make me lean against Ronnie a bit. But listen, of course he can do it, and I'm sure many will tip him. But um, yeah, really, that's what you want of the Masters. Loads of big players, hard to call, drama all the way. We really can't wait for it. Well, we've done nearly an hour, Phil. We'll come to any other business shortly. Should we go through the bit of correspondence we, we've got in as well? Yeah. And I'll first of all turn to John, who says, Hi all. This is a, ahead of our Christmas special, actually. Um, but uh, we can talk about Dave and his absence again, can't we? Wanted to say a huge thank you for keeping me company throughout the year. I get so much pleasure from listening to your two podcasts. They complement each other so well. I especially enjoy the in-depth tournament analysis that Nick and Phil provide alongside Dave's opinions, positivity and encouragement for viewers to write in and share their views, which always get read out. When both podcasts popped up to listen to yesterday, I was torn and didn't know which channel to listen to. So I now listen to the show twice, one from each channel, so you both get a listening figure. It was six hours of pure joy. Thanks again, chaps. Have a brilliant Christmas and New Year. Long live snooker. Many thanks, John. Well, I appreciate that, John. And is that is that a bit of purgatory, listening to that twice? I mean, I don't know. It feels like John enjoyed it. That's the main thing. No, I'm, I'm only putting your leg, John. That, we really appreciate it. That's so sweet, isn't it, to listen to both through our different channels. Really, <laughs> yeah. no, really, really nice. Yeah, that was really nice. And, uh, yeah, I can't think that many people have listened to it twice. So you might have been in quite a small club there, but thank you very much. Uh, here's Lars Johansson. Hey, guys. Was going to write a long snooker-related email, but decided against it. Already bombed Dave with a long email a while back. So instead, I just want to say thanks for two great podcasts. The two snooker podcasts that matter, in my opinion. Uh, the other podcasts need a comedian to entertain us. You guys are just yourself, and that's all we need and want. So thank you for that. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the first half of the season, what's coming up in 2024. Signing off, Merry Christmas and Happy New Snooker Year to you and yours. Cheers, Lars. Thank you very much, Lars. Great to hear from you, Lars. Much appreciated. Happy New Year to you. David Marsh next. Hello, Nick and Phil. Long-time listener, first-time emailer here. Thank you for such a brilliant podcast. It's such a weekly highlight for me, and I'm sure for many snooker fans. I think the mix you have of tournament coverage and interviews is just right. And I hope you carry on doing this for years to come. I think the John Higgins interview from the summer was probably your most memorable ever episode and show what top journalists you are, always seeming to know the right questions to ask. If I have one wish is that you one day have Mark Selby on the podcast, as I think his story on and off the table is a remarkable one. All the best to you both for 2024. David, well, no promises, but uh, yeah, I agree with that. He is a remarkable snooker character. So Maybe one day. And uh, thank you, David. Happy New Year to you. And thanks for your kind words. Yeah, we'd love to have Mark on at some point. Sure. Well, I'm not sure, but I hope we will. Um, this is Mark in Darlington, who's typed out in full Nick style. Hello, Nick and Phil, and Happy New Year. Just a quick email to share some thoughts I've had on how the game we all love could possibly be improved or made more attractive to a wider audience. Feel free to pass this along to the guys in Matchroom if you think it's worth anything. Now, I've read these already, and I, I probably won't be passing them along to the guys at Matchroom, but here's Mark's suggestions. The white ball to be made bigger and fitted with a bias weight, as seen in lawn bowls, to allow Mark Williams to roll up to the back of the pack without touching a cushion. Number two, re the referee sneaks one fake red ball in the pack, which explodes on impact. Number three, middle pockets to be guarded by opening and closing clowns' mouths on the one side, while small mechanical windmill slowly turns, partially blocking the other. Number four, players can do anything they feel will put their opponent off while at the table, but they must remain seated. Imagine Dominic Dale singing Welsh hymns at the top of his voice, or Stephen Maguire mean-mugging Anthony Hamilton and whispering myths while he's on the black. Number five, UFC-style weigh-ins before the match. This one made me laugh. Some pushing and drawing a line across the throat with index finger is encouraged. Before you make any final judgment on these, ask yourself, would you tune in to watch? Love the podcast, the best wish 2024, Mark. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't see too many of them getting over the line. Um, but, you know, we welcome all suggestions here, don't we? We really do. And, you know, talking about, about great comedy, I saw a clip that, I don't know, I'm so old now, I might have probably seen it and forgotten but rather than never seen it, but it was Laurel and Hardy. And they were, I think it was Paul, actually, they were playing. But 
Absolutely brilliant stuff. I only saw that today, so that reminded me of that. But yeah, thank you, thank you very much indeed. Well, I don't know if US, USC style weigh-ins before the match. I just think I don't know. I can't imagine Graham Dot and and um, Anthony McGill and people like that. These nice, nice, well-mannered chaps getting involved too much with that. But anyway, um, I think those those you picked a couple of skinny guys there. I don't think they'd be too bothered about the weigh-ins. I think some other guys might no. want to not want to do it for other reasons. Well, yeah, okay. But thank you very much indeed, <laughs> and I appreciate that one, uh, Mark. And happy New Year to you. Any other business, Bill? We're going to shoot off. Um, you mentioned Macau. There was some Maximans, wasn't there? Other little look. Selby and Higgins, both uh, both knocking in one four sevens. Mark Selby won that f- the first event. That was a really controversial one, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, Mark Williams winning the second. But they all seem to have a good time. I saw amusing Christmas dinner photo- photographs and videos. It looked a bit different from the normal Christmas we'd have over here. But nevertheless, they they, they seem to have a good time, and and they're making positive noises generally about going back. Yeah, for sure, they had a great time. It seems like they really looked well looked after, and yeah, I mean, you can see why players want to go and do those things. You know, they earned a load of money, playing in an amazing place, and treated like royalty. You know, great. Everyone would want to do that. Um, yeah, I saw Ronnie tweet that he was sort of involved with the promotion of it, and there's going to be more. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, we don't want any more of these sort of clashes. Uh, hopefully they can just find places where it works. Hopefully there's good dialogue between who organises the tour and who organises those things, and it all can, can all just piece together nicely because, yeah, sure, players want to go and play with them, and we don't want a big grudge than that. Um, but we also want all the best players in the best tournaments as well. So, yeah, um, looks like a lot of fun. I think those guys were happy to forgo their cold British Christmas for that, and I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I, I wondered about that. Well, here's a story you won't believe, uh, Phil. You're sitting down. That's good news. Jimmy White, right, is in the balls against Stephen Hendry. He's just got to keep his head hot off you, and he's over the line. He wins the trophy. He didn't do it. Stephen Hendry won. I know, I know, it takes some believing. But (laughs) putting my flippant tone aside, that was, of course, the climax of the 900 seniors event we saw on free-to-air television last week in the UK here on Channel 5. It was an Epsom race course. It looked a lot of fun, didn't it? It looked well-staged. It looked well-produced. And you can always tell the difference between events that are well-produced on television and those that weren't. Obviously, a bit of money went into it. You could really tell that. Good production and uh, a lot of fun. And, um, you know, obviously, we say well done to, to all involved. But it had to be Hendry and White, didn't it? It had to be, Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was great. Um <laughs> Really dramatic final, even though Hendry looked like he was dominating it. He kept it kept it alive by missing one. Um, yeah, and Jimmy couldn't quite take advantage. But um, I can't remember who Jimmy played in his previous game, but he looked really good, made a good break. But yeah, the whole thing was looked brilliant. I didn't see it all. I was travelling back from somewhere, but I caught the end and looked superb on telly. Looked like the audience was having great fun. It was a lovely sort of, that is, exa- they nailed the atmosphere of what you want when you don't, you don't, you don't want quite as far as the shootout, but you want people to be able to have it be sort of chatting and it not being um, intrusive. And that was just a nice sort of background hubbub um, that wasn't that was great. Yeah. So um, I'm not seeing any viewing figures. I hope they were good and I hope it comes back because uh, it's got great potential to expand. I think obviously great coverage with the guys, Rachel and Neil and Rianne, um, JV on the comms um rob walker doing his thing so yeah no it's great so yeah well done to jason francis for dreaming these things up and putting them on it's good stuff and i I like that setup i don't think you'd always want it or maybe want it that often for regular tournaments the tiered seating tends to be the one that adds to the the whole atmosphere and drama of these things but that that tables thing was quite pleasing on the eye i think Mm. everyone's sort of sitting there's something old school about it it felt like I think when you see very, very old clips of I'm talking about Joe Davis and, you know, very yesteryear, you know, like decades and generations ago, that's kind of the, some of the setup there. So it's sort of, it harked back to a different age again, I think, which there was something quite um, very civilised about it and a bit sort of almost grand, which I quite liked. But anyway, yeah, congratulations to all those involved with that. And, well, Phil, the Masters, what can we say? Enjoy it, everyone. These are the moments that we look forward to so much. And it's going to be a great week. Enjoy yourself 
Phil, won't you? And uh, keep your thoughts coming to us, folks, especially if you're going to the tournament, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at, at talkingsnooker. And uh, not a bad first one of the year, Phil. Only got about 484 more episodes to go. We'll get, we'll, we, should be, we should be there for 24. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks, everyone, for sticking with us for another year. I will say thanks uh, to everyone who got in touch with my little bit of family news from the Christmas special. Don't often do stuff like that on there, but I had a lot of lovely messages from people. So very kind of you. Um, but yeah, no, very much looking forward to this one. Um, feels like we've had a rare, quite long snooker, snooker break. Again, I think it's because I watched the darts for a month. But it, what a way to get back into it. One of the best. Um, yeah, can't wait. Brussel Lasowski to raise the curtain. What more could you ask for? Not much more, Phil, and we look forward to the tournament immensely. We're back afterwards to wrap it all up, of course, and to uh, review what it will no doubt. We don't know who's going to win. We don't know what any of the matches, let alone the tournament, but the guarantee is we're going to see great drama, great theatre in front of a big crowd, exactly what we love about this uh, this dear game. And uh, that's about it for now then, for this first episode uh, of 2024. Uh, for your old friends, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.